I might be freaks, but we know our mother phone can beats in beats in beats in beats in beats. This is the Freak VTDM Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Walker. It is Wednesday, the 7th of August, 2019, and I'm coming back with another podcast. Tomorrowland has been and gone two weekends of it, and there's still reverberations all around uh, the world from what has happened. But instead of doing a review, which I could, of course, I thought it'd be interesting to share with you a story I've read about the history of Tomorrowland and its evolution over the years. And um, I thought of uh, bringing this in three separate parts, or perhaps two. So I found this article, which was actually in the newspaper that uh, Tomorrowland shares with the attendees and gives out for free and I thought I would share it with you for the people who did not attend or most people who actually take the paper and just throw it and of course I'm gonna be adding my own comments just to add some context first of all before we start with this I would want to uh, explain a little bit about Belgium which is a very small country sandwiched between France and Germany. They have so much tradition into dance music. Uh, From back in 1989, so that's quite a long time ago, it um, brought its own taste, uh, let's, let's put it this way, or music style to this thing called New Beat. This was a kind of slowish, very heavily electronic themed um, genre um, that kind of lasted for almost a year and then it kind of evolved after that into what was called Belgian techno and the Belgians had a few great clubs back then like Boccaccio and Ghent and some clubs in Adverb as well Uh, I've never been to any of those, unfortunately. But uh, they developed a um, very heavy techno sound that equally influenced the UK producers at the time. And that sort of coming together brought the hardcore techno of 1991. And uh, a great record label of uh, that era was R&S. And that's two for Renat and... Sabine, Renat being Renat van Peppelier, uh, a Belgian pioneer at the time, and Sabine being his wife. So he had the logo of uh, the Ferrari horse. And you may have seen some um, releases, because it's still going on, uh, or some old compilations from that era, one of the seminal ones being In Order to Dance. So Belgium had this sort of history uh, and tradition of course, it was heavily influenced by Germany, who who was also a pioneer in, in techno. And after that, it kind of went a little bit harder. And uh, we had the um, 
uh, a great label called Bonsai Records coming up and when you listen to some Dimitri Vegas uh, and like Mike Set or even Charlotte DeWitt they usually drop some Bonsai Records old Bonsai Records uh, into their sets so having given this background it is no surprise how Belgium as such a small city uh, sorry country actually developed uh, such a huge festival and Tomorrowland being I think the most popular electronic dance music festival not the biggest but the most popular I would say definitely so if I start reading a little bit and then I will insert my own comments as I go along so 15 magical years of Tomorrowland have passed and what the journey has been was started out as an experiment that hardly anyone really understood an outdoor dance festival with over-the-top stages in broad daylight really grew out to become this fantastic event we all love so much together with the stage and the djs the festival itself kept on developing as well but what exactly are the key ingredients needed to make up this marvelous tomorrowland recipe one has been kept fresh and improved upon year after year we took a ride through the history of the festival the legend of it all the famous main stage and some key moments with a panel of some of these some of those who were there from the very beginning tiesto Armin Van Buren, Carl Cox, Dimitri Vegas, Mike Push, Yves Derute, Kuhn, Yves V and MC Stretch. So um, the article starts with the early days and I quote, One of the very few acts to have been involved from the early days are Dimitri Vegas and like Mike, even though the main stage wasn't quite something they could imagine playing back then. Actually, if you um, listen to them, they celebrated 10 years of being the main stage. So the festival has been going on for five, 15 years. So there's five years that they didn't play in the main stage. I've been, and, and I think Dimitri Vegas uh, explains, I've been a part of Tomorrowland from its second or third year. During those first years, I worked as a backline technician and helped the likes of David Guetta and John Dalbach with the stage setups. Imagine this, right? Needless to say, I seized the opportunity to slip some of our early demos into the DJ bags, and he laughs. In 2009, we played our very first show at the gathering, and we closed the flugel stage that same year. Now, um, for those who haven't been there, uh, for the people who actually come at the Dreamville, they have a special party on a Thursday called The Gathering, and usually the showcase local Belgian DJs or artists. Uh, the Belgian people are very... Um, very proud of the heritage. Let me put it this way, and they they are very good at showcasing and and promoting their own Belgian artists. And if you look at the lineup, you will actually see that this is the case. And do keep in mind that sixty percent of those who you see in the festival, even though you see all sorts of flags from all over the world, they're actually Belgians. So sixty percent of those tickets are actually from Belgium. So I continue. According to legend, Belgium's very own Yves Deruter was one of those who did get lucky enough to play the very first edition. And he quotes, To be honest, I can't remember all that much of those days, Yves says. I can't even remember what I did last week. But in general, it's a good thing when I don't recall an event, because that means that nothing went wrong. Back then, Tomorrowland was still another festival, you know, one of the many who were trying to make it big. Though none of others succeeded at constantly staying on edge, constantly improving. 
The main stage back then was nothing more than a couple of curtains and the ID&T logo spread out over it, Kuhn recalls it differently. And ID&T is the company that um, basically is the organizer behind Tomorrowland and it's a, uh, it's actually a Dutch company, um, that's, that's very peculiar. Uh, it was organizing already uh, festivals um, both in Belgium as well as in Netherlands and still exists today. It's uh, amalgamated, it's taken over uh, at, at this stage in time. And um, it organizes, for example, Mysteryland. Some of you may have uh, heard of that. This is another kind of popular event in Netherlands. And to continue with that, Kuhn recalls it differently. To me, that small main stage already felt pretty big back then, and he laughs. I haven't missed a single edition since the first one, so to me it went from already pretty big to huge. Closing the main stage in year zero, 2005, was Mike Push. And he says, I remember being invited to headline a new festival by the organization behind Antwerp is Burning. They told me that it would be a new outdoor dance event called Tomorrowland and that I could close out the day. I even remember ending my set with my track Strange World and a very minimal setup of lights and fireworks. Looking back, the journey we've all been on together is amazing. You know, there were big outdoor dance parties back then in the rest of Europe and especially in Australia. But there simply wasn't anything like this. Tomorrowland immediately took it to the next level. The magnitude of it was so inspiring. And I must say that um, the whole of Belgium seems to be behind it. And I remember two or three years ago, I think the Queen actually attended on a Friday, obviously on the VIP stands. And that shows how much of um, the political organization and the local communities actually back off Back, sorry, back the festival because for them it's just, you know, they feel really, really proud of what they achieved and, and Tomorrowland being so popular, not just in Europe, but the rest of the world. So to continue, one year on and the festival had grown at least uh, a little bit. In 2006, it was none other than our very own Yves V behind the decks along the likes of Army Van Buren, Marco Bailey and David Guetta. I played the main stage that year, if V explains, and I remember that my girlfriend was allowed to sit next to me on stage. Things were a bit more jovial back in the day. There were a lot of people from Antwerp there as well, and as I was mostly playing local club shows at the time, it's fair to say that I knew literally everyone on the front rows. But even then you could feel that something special was happening. There were hardly other festivals that operated at that level even then. I remember my first time pretty clearly, says MC Stretch, who has been hosting the main stage for years now. This is the guy who you uh, hear his voice. I'm not talking about the narrator, the one who talks about the fantasy legends. I'm talking about the guy who's, you know, the MC who's hyping um, the crowd. And it's usually on the early parts of the day, not, not quite late at night. And he continues, it was a one day thing. I think it was the third edition and I was here for the second day only. I was hosting a trans tent. It was either Armin or Above and Beyond who curated the lineup. It was terrible weather. I remember walking backstage before Tomorrowland constructed proper roads at the shore and I was literally knee deep in the mud. Jesus Christ, I never knew it can get that bad. The shore is the actual park 
where Tomorrowland actually takes place. So that, you know, if you take out the whole construction, it's a beautiful park there. And to continue. But when I went to look at the terrain in front of the stage, I didn't see any mud at all. And I was like, wow, they've somehow managed to work something out to have the people feel comfortable even though the weather conditions are working against them. And I've been walking around going wow, wow and wow ever since. Armin van Buren's own memories also go back to these days. I first got a stage in one of the smaller areas and that was pretty impressive already. Knowing that what Tomorrowland has become today makes it even more special to have been there during the early days. The festival was so much smaller. It used to be the little brother of Mysteryland in the Netherlands. So those first times were one big adventure. I knew the organization from back when I played at Adverbit's Burning in the Sport Palais, so it's really nice to see it now, realizing where they came from. Tomorrowland welcomed a lot of huge talents from early on, but it wasn't until 2008 that they had the pleasure to welcome the three-decked wizard Mr. Carl Cox. And for those who do not know, Carl Cox is one hell of a DJ who back in the days of 89, he used to play with three decks, um, without obviously any auto-sync, whereas other DJs uh, used to struggle even syncing, you know, a mix with two decks. Hence his name, Three Deck Wizard. So Carl Cox says, My first time in Tomorrowland, I was playing the main stage in a slot between Dr. Electrolove and David Guetta, and the production at the time was nowhere near as massive as today. But even back in the day, you could sense that Tomorrowland was out of the box. In those early days, there was already something special about it that went above and beyond any other festival. Tiesto's first encounter with Tomorrowland wasn't as one might be inclined to think at the main stage. The first time I played here, it was still daylight, he recalls. I can't remember the stage name, but I do remember that there were only about 200 people in front of me. It was very hot and very dusty, but a pleasant experience nevertheless. You know, as a DJ, you sometimes miss out on what is happening in front of you. You come in through the back door, climb on stage, play your set and leave again. The Tomorrowland feeling you have on the dance floor is a whole different thing. I would love to visit Tomorrowland sometime as a member of the audience, as a fan, coming to through the front gates and undergo that magical journey people always talk about. In order to do that, I think I'd have to wear a fake moustache, though, or better, my marshmallow hat, and he laughs. And that's a joke, because uh, for people who may remember from uh, 2016, I think, uh, where uh, Tiesto was well, or Marshmallow was playing um, in the main stage and then he removes his uh, Marshmallow hat and there's Tiesto and, you know, we all had these rumors but we knew they were fake. So, the next section is about the main stage. Let's be honest, amidst all that uh, prominent worldwide DJ talent, there's really only one headliner that stands out, isn't there? The one recurring big name on the lineup that fans of every genre, every visitor, everybody's looking forward to is the main stage. Back in 2005, it may have been just a big podium, but that changed rather quickly as it became bigger, bolder, more extravagant and utterly mind-blowing, a story in and of itself. It became so grand that even the greatest of the world still have the shakes before they step up. And I'm turning the page behind those golden decks. 
DJ Tiesto was one of the very first DJs in the world to sell out an arena show all by himself. It's funny being called DJ Tiesto, right? Because that was kind of his old name with the DJ at the beginning. Yet the main stage is a whole different level even to him, so Tiesto says. The funny thing is that my own arena shows in Belgium back then were organized by the same people behind Tomorrowland today. But that stage is a completely different thing. Here you're not only standing in front of Tiesto fans, you're playing in front of fans from all the other DJs as well, and they're from all over the world. Playing the main stage is one of the main, sorry, of the most high-profile DJ gigs in the world, and I'm still very honored to be able to do so because it means that they still think I have what it takes to play in the top league. The first one to have brought techno to big stages around the world was Carl Cox, and he has done so at Tomorrowland as well. You know, for me, it wasn't really about bringing techno to that famous main stage of Tomorrowland, as I've done that kind of show many times already. Carl Cox has actually gone through an evolution. So initially he was playing uh, like what everybody else was playing, I mean, 89, 90. And then he went into the kind of hardcore breakbeat jungle um, era between 91 and 93, again, because that's what was popular by uh, that time. And then after 95 or so, he kind of turned back into just plain techno and he's been playing techno scenes so to continue I do think they were very smart in programming a style of music on the main stage that has an element of commerciality to it but that music it comes from somewhere it comes from me and now we have Amelie Lenz and Charlotte DeWitt there people who are starting to make techno at the main stage a normal thing people have become more educated in music and it's great they can be accepted in this Um, scenery, even in broad daylight. Another not so mainstream genre at the main stage is hardstyle and the one to bring it it is quite a few years younger than Carl Cox and goes by the name of Kuhn. That was such a big moment for me and for hardstyle in general. The beauty of Tomorrowland is that they provide opportunities for all those genres including hardstyle and I'm ever so grateful for that. There can be a debate about that and, and how much diversity, musical diversity does the main stage in Tomorrowland actually offers and when you compare it to the main stages of other festivals I think they kind of stick to the guns more or less and, and you know the more commercial side of things and you know who's going to be there on a Saturday, it's always the same lineup. so I kind of disagree there but uh, you know I think uh, Giving some chance to Amelie Lenz and Charlotte DeWitt this year was a, a progress in the right direction. But again, I have to argue that this is probably because they're both Belgians. And as we said, Belgian people are very nationalistic and they promote their own kind. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Tomorrowland main stage and MC Stretch go together like Dimitri Vegas and like Mike. The past, present, future are indissolubly interwind. What a word. Stretch is the host and the voice of the main stage, the one to welcome you in the morning, keep you on your toes during the day and send you off with a little good night kiss after the last blast of fireworks have quieted down. That doesn't mean that he would ever take the main stage for granted though. I'm still amazed every year. Take the new book of wisdom. The level of detail is beyond this world. Did you know that those are all real books on the shelves behind the booth? Thousands of them. And then there's the opening ceremony. 
seen the stage come to life in such an epic moment, there's no way I'll ever, ever grow tired of that. For Dimitri Vegas and like Mike, 2010 marks the same, sorry, the first time they ever played the main stage. They're rocking it for the 10th time this year, so for them this 15th edition is one celebration on top of another. You bet we'll be celebrating that with a bang, he assures us. What makes the main stage so grand is the production. No other festival comes anywhere close to that Tomorrowland brings year after year. They try to reinvent themselves every time again in terms of theme, design, production. The whole thing is constantly renewed. Belgium's very own electronic music innovator Yves Deruter has been putting out records since 1991, but had to wait just a little bit longer to make his first appearance at that one stage through them all. I played the main stage last year for the very first time together with DJ Costa's Cherry Moon tracks. Even though I've been around for quite a while now and I've been pretty much everything there is to see in Belgium, I was something really special. You play in the main stage of what is officially the best festival in the world, all eyes are on you. And what's more fun is that people still talk about that set. We managed to stand out last year. People from outside Belgium and the Netherlands probably thought that we were bringing a completely new style of music because they never heard of us old guys. For me personally, playing the main stage was one of the very few things left on my bucket list and I'm humbled and honored to have been able to do it. And more or less to finish, according to Armin Van Buren's I mean, Van Buren, next to having a star-spangled lineup, it's the surroundings that do the trick. The main stage being where it is at the bottom of the valley is what makes the atmosphere extra special. It's like a big natural outdoor arena. You can actually see the people in the back, and for me that makes makes me feel more in touch with everybody, not just the first rows. The shore is just such a unique location even without considering the stages that get crazy every every year so i would like to finish with that uh, so possibly to keep it part one of three having also to discuss about the djs and the memories of those djs so we learn more information about the history of that uh, great festival Thank you very much for spending time with us because where you choose to spend your time is really important and we appreciate your choosing us. Please make sure you followed and share this podcast if the topics we discussed spark your interest and you appreciate us going off the beaten route. Do remember that we are ravers just like you. I have been dancing for 30 years now. We're independent and not sponsored by any DJ, record label, event, festival or corporate. We pay for all our tickets ourselves and records we buy, and therefore we're not here just to be super positive about everything when we damn well know the problems or things could be better. We thought that set was rubbish. We have the guts to say loud and proud even though it is unpopular, because we've been listening for 30 years to old genres of dance music, and we know not everything is always 100% sparkling amazing. What we say and discuss here comes from experience and our own genuine beliefs and our sole interest is to bring ravers together and spark a debate on how to make the scene better and keep the rave alive. For that we have to ask your help. We ask you to subscribe to the podcast, hint it's free, and our YouTube channel, free again, but also share it with your friends and keep your feedback coming. This is your podcast as much as ours. 
And for that, we need to know what you want to be discussing. You can email us at freakbits2016 at gmail.com, tweet us on freakbits underscore cast, or DM us on our Instagram at freakbitsedmpodcast. And if you go to the anchor.fm website, you can even leave us a voice message and a rant. That's easy. Until next time, remember, get your freak on.